Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a round of applause tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's Friday night. We're in the house of God. Amen. Amen. We welcome everyone tonight to our Friday night service. Amen. So glad to have everyone in the house of God tonight. Amen. Our online congregation will welcome you tonight. Amen. Hopefully you can set aside some time for the word of God tonight. Amen. It's a good thing to be in his presence. The songwriter said in his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Uh, for me, the scripture in Psalms 27 verses 5, it said, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of the tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Um, I was looking at the, uh, the definition for the word pavilion there. And um, I don't know if it's... Uh, if, if, if it's uh, if it's so ironic or if it's so fitting, which I consider it being fitting, it's referred to a, a summer camp or a decorated place, if you please. And I'm looking at our, our flags that are still uh, hanging up here, our All Nation Sunday this past Sunday. And, um, you know, what a difference, uh, if you please, one here makes. Um, when, when, you, when you look back and see what the Lord has done for you and where you, you are today, you can say, what a God we serve. The songwriter said, what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. I'm so glad that I'm a part of this great, big, happy family of God. I've been washing his blood, and I'm so glad that I know him for myself. Um... We welcome you tonight. We're going to invite you to stand with us if you're able to. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to have his way tonight in our service tonight. Amen. And as we pray, we're going to pray for the man of God tonight as he comes that the Lord's hands will be upon him and that they will anoint him and that will touch his body and touch his mind and his voice tonight as he teach or preach or whatever the Lord has in store for us tonight. So I'm going to ask you all to just bow your heads with us tonight as we pray and ask the Lord to have his way in our service. Father God, we thank you for giving us this privilege to gather together one more time in your presence. For in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pledges forevermore. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your love. We thank you for keeping us, Lord God. We thank you for providing for us. We thank you for making ways when there seems to be no way. We thank you for opening up doors, oh God, that no man can shut. Father God, you are the first and you are the last. You are the one that we adore. We worship you. We acknowledge you. We delight ourselves in you. Oh God, we present our bodies to you tonight as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. Help us not to get conformed to this world, but that we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind that will prove what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Father God, we ask you will to be done in this place tonight, Lord God. For we know it's not by might, not by power, but it's by your spirit, Lord God. We ask you to bless our service tonight. Touch every person that is here in the house of God tonight to worship the Lord. Father God, we ask you to touch our minds, touch our bodies, oh God. Father God, I pray and ask you that there will be anointing in this service like never before. That someone will make up in their mind, oh God, to serve you more, oh more and more, Lord God. We pray 
praying for the preacher tonight, Lord God, a man of God. Oh, I pray, God, your anointing upon him. Oh, God, that you'll touch his body tonight. Oh, God, touch his voice tonight, Lord God. Use him like never before, Lord God. I pray you anoint him from the crown of his head to the sole of his, your feet, Lord God. Let it be upon him tonight, Lord God. Move among us like never before. Bless and keep our past and his family. Oh, God, we ask the Lord God that you'll bless every family. Those that are watching us here online tonight, we ask the Lord God that you'll touch them likewise. Whatever all our needs are tonight, you promise you will supply all our needs according to your riches and glory. And Father God, as we commit ourselves to you, as we give ourselves to you tonight, we ask you, Lord God, that you pour blessing upon us, oh God, so that you continue to overflow like never before. Lord God, we honor you tonight. We worship you for you are great and greatly to be praised. Lord God, there is none like you. There is none to compare. You are the first and the last. You are the immutable God. Come in the service in your hand. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. That's our praise singers tonight. Our musicians tonight, I pray. Anointing upon us tonight, Lord God. As we continue to worship you and give you all the glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause tonight. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Worship the Lord with us tonight. Hallelujah. Glory. Come on, let's love on Jesus a little bit. Hallelujah, Jesus. Love and honor you tonight, Lord God. We magnify your name, O God. For you are great, great, great. You are an awesome Lord. Come on, let's love on Jesus a little bit. Hallelujah.
Come on, let's magnify Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Chains will never break, but they 
words, Lord Jesus. Whatever you say is true. Hallelujah. We trust in you, Lord God. Hallelujah. You said, I believe. You said, it is done. You
all these different heads on the statue. And it's a God for a tribe in India. And they said that's their, the God that saves. And the reason why there's all those evil faces on it is because that God destroys all evil. And all I can do is just shake my head and says, and we're so privileged to know the true and living God. And it is so incumbent upon us to let people know who our God is, who their God is that they don't even know is their God. We're not just going through the motions and gathering together just to be gathered together. But God has called us to the kingdom. We have work to do. And that is to declare Jesus Christ to our world. Because all that they're succumbing to, and all of their ideology, and all of their religion, and all of their false worship, they need to be saved. They need to be rescued. They need to be delivered. And they need to know the true and living God. But they say this is the weekend, and Tuesday is when they celebrate Halloween. And I don't know if we understand how far back that celebration go and what that represents. But I remember when I first came from Jamaica and I learned of Halloween and I just kind of shook my head and said, this is a crazy country. Because, you know, when you come from a third world country and all we think about is, you know, how to make things better for ourselves. I said, this is an open door for people to just commit crime and get away with it because everybody have a mask on that day. That's just the mentality of a third world thinking person. We're like, why are you doing this? But we just have to keep telling them about Jesus. We don't go out trick-or-treating. And we want to make sure we get our kids, keep our kids off the street. Keep them home. Don't send them on the street. It's dangerous. I'm not telling you to shun the people that celebrate it because they don't know any better. But we that know better, we need to do better. And we don't participate in that, but we can be a witness. We, we can be a witness to those who partake of that. But we ought to be good parents and good stewards of what God's entrusted us with and be sure that we don't put our children in harm's way. Amen. A lot of churches get their children together and do something at the church to just keep them off the street. And I hope we can do something Tuesday night at the church here and just get them together and do something fun with them and keep them off the street because it's dangerous. We've heard many stories already. And then if we go too deep into that um, holiday, then we realize that it's, it's, it's just demonic. And, and it's obvious it's demonic. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not hard to see. <laughs> we, we, we have to... We have to be witnesses next door. <laughs> Our property is being used as decoration. And we don't want to be bad uh, tenants until they can't decorate. But we can be good witnesses. We talked about blessed are the meek. And we're going to be meek. Not because we can't, we will. Because we want to reach the lost. And we want to be able to lead people to Jesus. There's some things that we have to take our time, pray about it, and just work along the ways to see what we can get done 
and reach people, win people unto the Lord and not let them not want to know our God. Because depending on how we behave, it has a great impact on whether or not people believe in our God. Because if our God is who we know he is and we don't represent him right, then it turns other people off. Keep them where they are. And that's not God's intent for any of his people. It is his will that all be saved and that none would perish. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Anybody love the word of God? I love the word of God. And I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity tonight to just come together and be able to receive the word of the Lord, to learn the word of the Lord. Uh, in many churches, especially apostolic church, and when I want to be politically correct, I'll tell you, there's only one church, and that, that's the apostolic church. So, so in, the, in the church, in many of the churches, um, unfortunately, we have more emotion than we have substance. Just being honest. No, I can't help it but to be transparent. And there's a lot of churches that are more filled with emotion than substance of the word. And that's why we see so many people that we thought was walking a straight and narrow. And when they go to the left, we're like, what's going on? They didn't have the substance of the word. They didn't have the foundation of the word. And when they were challenged, they couldn't stand. But when we have the word as our foundation and we know it, it does not matter what new thing come up. It does not matter what new religion comes out. It doesn't matter some new way that they're trying to introduce to us. Holiness is still holiness. Righteousness is still righteousness. Truth is still truth. But you have to know that. It can't be because the preacher says it and you just believe it. Some of us that's been to ALI understand you can believe a lie. So believe is not the end all be all. Yes, we believe the word, but believe is not the end all be all. Knowing is what's important. Because when you know, nobody can talk you out of knowing. You know. But when you believe and you don't know, you can be talked out of what you believe. Well, we have a preacher here tonight. I'm just so glad he's here. And I'm glad I get to sit and take my Bible out and take notes. Looking forward to it. I have my friend here tonight, Brother White, because he loved the Word too. That's why he's here. We love the Dibbles. We feel like we're family with the Dibbles. Brother White, the same. I'm the same. And some of you all are the same with the Dibbles. We love the Dibbles. Brother Dibble tried to mess with me and told me his voice you know, hasn't been working too good for the past few days. And I said, well, you've got a great preacher next to you, so you tell me what you want to do. <laughs> because we can handle Sister Dibble for the next three days, you know. We're okay with that, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, Brother Dibble, come, my friend. We love you. Come and teach us, minister to us. We appreciate you. He had to say something wise before he come, right? That's your husband and our friend. Praise the Lord, everyone. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. 
this evening. You can be seated. <clears throat> I really have been struggling with my voice uh, the last couple of days. I drove all the way up here from Connecticut and I didn't get one word in in the car. I'm just going to leave that right there. <clears throat> um, have been uh, for two weeks, I guess. I've been sick, and I think I had a, a case of shingles. And Sunday, I was so sick, and but I didn't want to miss church, and so I got dressed and went to church and just sat in my office, listened to the worship and listened to the preaching, and my soul was ministered to. And uh, I just, I love the house of God, and I love the Word of God. And so I, I forgot to ask, how long were we supposed to go this evening? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how long, I just, you're going to be disappointed either way, so I just... <clears throat> Topic tonight is how to study God's Word. And so um, that's my task this evening, and, and I thought in order to be very practical as well as beneficial that we could study a book of the Bible together, and I could show you how I go about studying. And so tonight we're going to cover the entire book of Psalms, all 150 chapters I hope you guys brought some snacks with you this evening. We'll, we'll take a break around midnight and get replenished a little bit and then dive back into the second half. No, tonight uh, I, we're going to dig into the book of Philemon. Everybody breathed a sigh of relief because Philemon is only one chapter, just 25 verses. Now, now, I want you to know that's even a stretch to cover 25 verses in, in one night. My father, <clears throat> on, on one Wednesday night Bible study, decided that he wanted to teach Psalm 23. Six verses. And as a young person, I was sitting there, uh, and I was just saying to myself, we're never going to get out of here tonight. Six verses, my Lord. Well, we got out of there, but my father didn't cover all six verses. In fact, he didn't even finish five verses. He didn't finish four verses. He, he didn't come close to finishing three verses. He didn't finish two verses. In fact, he didn't even finish one verse. But all he got to was the first two words of Psalm 23 that said, the Lord. And he started talking about his Lord that he had walked with all of his life and had been faithful to him all of his life. And that's as far as he got. Well, here's the thing. I, I was such a terrible young person at that point that, 
that I missed all the good things he said about the Lord, and I got hung up on the fact that he only covered two words. So what I'm trying to tell you is covering 25 verses tonight is going to be a tall task. Now, some people's primary study method of the Bible, how many have a study method that you use when you read Scripture? All right. Some people's primary study method of the Bible, they want God to, to speak to them, and so they just kind of open it up. There we go, and they point to a verse. That's the verse for me. You know, whatever whatever you say in this verse, God, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to open up your word and this is going to be my life verse for today. So, let's try that. I've got Ezekiel chapter 4 and and verse number 12 and and it says and and thou shalt eat it as barley cakes. That's so far so good. I like to eat. And so I figure, you know, this verse is right up my alley. Thank you, Lord. That's that's wonderful. But it goes on to say, And thou shalt bake it with the dung that cometh out of the man in their sight. Can I suggest that there's a better way to read and study Scripture than just open up and point to a verse of Scripture, right? So, here's the plan for tonight. We're going to start by talking about some Bible study tools. Um, Again, this is just going to be super, super practical this evening. Talk about some Bible study tools, and then I'm going to give you uh, a framework or a method to set in place to study Scripture or to read Scripture. And then we'll use uh, a portion of that framework in the book of Philemon to see what we can uh, discover from that book, what gold we can mine from that book. And then if time permits, perhaps I'll show you uh, a few things that have come out of my own personal Bible study, a Bible reading this year. You see, the key to studying the Scripture is you have to get into the Scripture. Just carrying this book around with you is not going to do it. Setting it on top of your head is is not going to accomplish very much. Having it on the table beside you is not going to accomplish very much. Saying to yourself, yeah, I'm going to start to study God's Word and I'm going to read God's Word is not going to accomplish very much if you don't open it up and actually do the work of reading the Bible, of reading the text. Do you you know what the number one predictor is if a, a person remains in the church, remains faithful to God? The number one predictor, there's the highest probability you'll remain with the Lord in the church if you read your Bible consistently. That's the number one predictor if you'll remain with the Lord. And that's just 
read the Bible and check the box kind of reading, not actually even studying the Scripture. Just think if you read with the mindset to hear from God and get an understanding while you're reading the Scripture. So half the battle in Bible study is just to get the congregation reading their Bibles. It's it's getting the congregation to take responsibility for their own spiritual growth. Now, did you know? Hold on, fasten your seatbelts here. This is going to shock you. Did you know that it is not ultimately your pastor's responsibility for you to grow? It's not anyone's responsibility for me to grow in the Lord except myself. I have to. T- it's a sad commentary if the only time you ever open the book is when your pastor gets up on a Sunday or a Wednesday and says, turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 39, and that's the only time you crack the book this week. That's a sad commentary. So it's your responsibility to grow in the Lord. And why wouldn't we want to study God's Word? His Word is life to us. His Word is fresh bread to us every single day. According to the Bible, the the Word is a sword that pierces Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. It's a light that shines, Psalm 119 and 105. It's a mirror that reveals James 1 and 23. Perhaps we don't open up the book because we don't like what it reveals about us. It's a path to purity, Psalm 119 and verse 9. It's a meal that nourishes 1 Timothy 4 and 6. It's a seed that reproduces 1 Peter 1 and 23. It's a fire that consumes Jeremiah 23 and 29. It's a defense against temptation, Psalm 119 and verse 11. It's the source of our faith, Romans 10 and 17. It's the truth. That lives forever. Isaiah 40 and verse number 8. So I want you to know that study of the Bible is, is meant to transform us and not just inform us. You can study the scripture and say, you know, I know all the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and and you can quote all of them. And and, and you can study the Scripture and memorize a passage of of Scripture uh, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereunto the Word of God. But if you never let it get in your heart, if you never let it transform you, all you're doing is gaining head knowledge. You've got to actually make application of the Word of God. In other words, when you study God's Word, you don't study to get smart. 
You study to find out more about the Lord Jesus Christ so he can change your life. Praise God. So, some some basic tools for study. I guess I need to say a word about translations. Translations are important. Bible translations are important. And... um, I haven't talked with your pastor about this, so I won't say a whole lot about it, um, except that the uh, King James Version was good enough for the Apostle Paul, and so I'm not really sure why we mess with all the other... No, I'm just kidding. Translation, Bible translations are important. It's important that you do your research and find out where did this translation come from. There we go. This says General Mike, and I thought maybe I needed the one that said Revelation now. So just Bible translations. Let me try to stay on track here. Um, It's important you find out where the translation comes from. There are basically two streams, if I could make it as simple as possible, two streams of translations um, there's translations that come from what's called the, the Texas Receptus. Um, and there are thousands and thousands of manuscripts represented by that word Texas Receptus that, that are exactly the same. There's no variations even in the jot and the tittle, the crossing of the T, the dotting of the I, commas, so on and so forth, all of that. They're exactly the same. And then there's another stream, uh, a text stream called the critical text, that there are many variations, and most of today's modern English translations come from what is known as the critical text, and so you'll, you'll have little variations in there. I was so disheartened at our general conference this last year, one of the famous five-fold ministry prophet fellows got up there and, and he used what was known as the Passion Translation. Anybody ever heard of the Passion Translation? The Passion Translation, if you research it, was was developed or written. This guy had an encounter with an angel by the name of Passion. And that's the Bible translation that was being used. So I'm just saying that to say not all translations are created equal. So it's important. You talk with your pastor. You get counsel from him. I understand the value in maybe looking at a modern English translation. There are one translation. It's the MEV, Modern English Version. It's translated from the Texas Receptus, and it gives a good uh, 
rendering of, of the text in a modern English way. And, and I'll give you an example of some of this um, in, in just a moment. So Bible translations. Then there are commentaries. How many have ever heard of commentaries before? And those are books that are written about the biblical text. And there are different types of commentaries. You can uh, purchase devotional commentaries. You can purchase exegetical commentaries. It comes from the word exegesis, which just means the study of the Scripture or how you interpret Scripture. The word eisegesis means you you put your interpretation into the Scripture. Exegesis means you get what the Scripture says and actually interpret from Scripture. So there's exegetical commentaries. There's Greek and Hebrew commentaries. And, and for those commentaries, you have to know a little bit about the original languages, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic and, and Greek. There are expository commentaries, and those are verse-by-verse commentaries where the writer will take each verse and give his comments about that. That There are application commentaries. There are homiletical commentaries. There are standalone one-volume commentaries. And then there are uh, sets of commentaries or series of commentaries with the same under the same name, but each one uh, perhaps a different book of the Bible. So there are commentaries that will benefit you as you dig into the Word of God. And so I'm telling you that to make sure you get the right kind of commentary. Don't buy a Hebrew or Greek commentary if you don't know Hebrew or Greek. It's not going to do you very good. It will just confuse you. There are uh, original language aids such as lexicons, which it's basically a dictionary of words in the original language. There are interlinears and things like that. And then, very exciting, there are tremendous amount of Bible programs that are available for your phone or your computer. How many have uh, a Bible app, a program on your phone where you can read the Bible. How many have ever heard, I think it's the Blue Letter Bibles. Anybody have that? That's a tremendous tool. There's lots of Hebrew and Greek resources on there uh, that come free with the program if you know how to use it. On your computer, there's, how many have ever heard of Bible Gateway? So that's another tremendous resource and a lot of uh, commentaries and, and uh, aids on there that, that you can use, so many free resources. What I'm trying to say when it comes to this is there is no excuse that you can't study the Scripture. Well, I don't understand the King James language. I don't understand what it's talking Well, do a little bit of work. Dig into it a little bit. Talk to God about it. Pray over that verse of Scripture. Lord, what are you trying to speak to me here? Uh, put a little effort into your study of the Scripture. And then there are just tons and tons of books that you can buy about Bible study, about reading the, the Word of God. But can I just say, after I've said all that, that none of these resources actually replace you getting into the Word of God for yourself. Praise God. Now, here are a couple of frameworks 
that we've used at our church over the last few years uh, before, ironically, before COVID started, the Lord started challenging me to challenge our church for personal growth. The Lord started to challenge me that I was to encourage more than we had before our people to get into the Word of God for themselves. And so you ever, anyone ever followed the bread program? You follow the bread program, you check the box, and you read the whole Scripture through in one year. Tremendous, nothing wrong with that. But I decided what, what would happen if we actually slowed our Bible reading down a little bit. And so for the first year that we did this, we didn't read more than one chapter a day. The second year we did it, we didn't read more than one chapter in a week. In fact, we slowed it down that much to, to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We were reading the same thing every day. And we were uh, kind of letting it marinate. And, and I encouraged people... Uh, you know, if you only get to the first verse of the chapter, read until God gets your attention. Read until something jumps out at you and then start digging into that. Don't get so caught up with, I got to check the box and finish my Bible reading. And you got finished, but God wasn't finished with you yet. And in our haste to check the box off, we read right over that verse that he was trying to speak to us. And we left that and didn't even consider it. So uh, the Lord started to challenge us to slow down our reading a little bit. Don't just do it and say, yeah, I accomplished it. I like to accomplish any task-oriented people here tonight. Task or you, you make lists. You like checking the, you know, I like writing stuff down that I just finished, but I forgot to put on my list. I'm going to write it on my list just so I can check it off and say I checked it off. I I like accomplishing things, and so that was right up my alley. But, But don't get so caught up in the accomplishment that you miss what God is trying to speak to you personally. And so, uh, we started challenging and and perhaps let me um, I'll I'll copy and paste a bunch of this and I'll send it to your pastor and he can send it out because there's going to be a bunch of stuff if you're writing down here Um, here's what we challenged our church to on Monday read and meditate so Monday is read and meditate and as you're reading and meditating on the passage and, and what we did in our local church, we, I outlined my preaching for a whole year. And the stuff that, that we were reading, I had just preached on that Sunday. And then Monday through Friday, we were reading through that passage and seeing what God would speak to us. So Monday was read and meditate. What stood out to me in this passage? What did the Spirit bring to my attention as I was reading, read uh, thoughtfully, 
Read repeatedly. Read patiently. Read prayerfully. Read purposefully. Read acquisitively. And so that's what we did on, on Monday. There, there was an occasion, I can remember, when, when everything, um, well, has anybody ever read that passage of scripture in the book of, in the book of Judges where, where the guy puts his, his uh, lady outside the front door and, and she's assaulted that night? And, and when he comes and opens the door, he finds her dead and he chops his, her body up and sends a portion of her body, one to every tribe. You know, I'm reading that and I'm saying, what in the world does that mean? And I, I read it again. And then, and then I read the passage again. For three days, I read that passage over and over and over. Something like 30 or 40 times, I just kept reading the entire chapter. God, this scripture is in here for some reason. What in the world is going on? And the last time I read it through, a verse of scripture jumped out at me. And it was the key to understanding the whole passage. And I preached a message on, from that passage, and it was a tremendous blessing to our church, to me personally, and to our church during a, a very difficult time in our country. And so, um, read patiently, read repeatedly. You didn't get it the first time? Go back and read it again. We are talking about God's Word, right? I'm not talking about reading a Louis L'Amour book or uh, reading some uh, romance novel or something. We're talking about reading God's Word. This is fresh bread, fresh manna from heaven. So that was Monday. Tuesday was observation. That's what I called that. So what do I see in this passage? Who is the text written to? What are... The key words in the text. What is the context of the passage? Do you know it's important to get the context of a verse of Scripture? What comes before it and what comes after it gives the context of what that verse is talking about. So much false doctrine is born out of Scripture taken out of context. One verse of Scripture trying to make it stand on its own. Now, if I was in my home church, I would have 52 cough drops of various assortments that people would have brought up to me by now and I'm you know I'm trying to get them to understand I'm a public speaker I can't speak with 49 cough drops in my mouth and accomplish my task here tonight I'm not trying to be offensive I just can't put all those cough drops in my mouth anyway context context is so important uh, what important comparisons or contrast do you see? If the scripture is comparing something or contrasting something, it's important for us to take note of that. 
Uh, here's a great question. What does this passage tell me about God? We're, we're not getting into the study of the Word of God so I can gain head knowledge. I'm getting into study of the Word of God so I can figure out what He's trying to tell me, so I can figure out His character, His nature, so I can figure out more about Him. And when I figure out more about Him, it's amazing how much the Scripture opens up to me. Praise God. So look for things that are emphasize. Look for things that are repeated. Look for things that are related. Look for things that are alike and unlike. Look for things that are true to life. Wednesday was interpretation. What does this passage mean? Ask the questions. Who, what, where, when, and why? What do these key terms mean? You know, as apostolics, we, we tend to gloss right over those big words, sanctification. And we never even figure out what it means. What justification means. What some of those terms mean. So what do they mean? How do the verses or phrases relate to each other? How does this passage fit into the larger story of the book? You know there's a theme of each book of the Bible. You know there's a theme to the Bible itself. So how does this passage fit into the theme of this book? How does it fit into the theme of this chapter? How does it fit into the theme of all of the Bible? Those are great questions to ask yourself as you're studying the Word of God. How would you like it, Pastor Wyatt, if and Pastor White, if, if people would pick apart your message and just take one sentence out of your message and say, this is what Pastor Wyatt said. And there's no context. There's no nothing. It didn't. You don't have a, a feel for the entire message. Well, the, the book of Colossians, the book of Romans, for instance, is one message. Right? It, it's. It's not just you take this verse here and have it stand up. It's one message that Paul was trying to write to the church at Rome or, or, or to the Philippians. And so don't just pick and choose a verse, but, but get the context. How does it relate to the entire story of the Bible? How does this passage point to or speak of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thursday, I've got a hurry here. We'll never get to Philippians. And then I'll have to tell this. My kids aren't here, so they won't be able to tell the story. Dad didn't even get to Philippians. He got to the first two words of the book, and that was it. Thursday, application. Wait a minute. You mean I'm supposed to apply the stuff I read in the book? Before I check the box and say I did my reading today? Uh-oh. So, Thursday's application. How should I respond to this passage? Is there an application already in the text that I can apply? Is there a command or exhortation for how we should live? What does this biblical principle mean today? 
What would the application of this verse look like in my life? If I were to apply this, what's it going to look like in my life? How am I going to apply it? What difference does this make in my life? How can this biblical principle help me in my walk with God? And then Friday was prayer. And simply the question was, what does this passage prompt me to pray? Now you're just getting crazy, preacher. You want me to apply what I learned, and then you want me to pray differently? You want me to pray about it? So that's just one framework for study that you can use. It's not the only framework, but it'll get you going. It'll get you started asking questions. And and when you put this in place, you'll... You'll begin to see, you'll begin to understand, it'll be second nature to you. You'll, you'll just automatically start to ask these questions of yourself as you're reading the biblical text. Now, um, I don't know what works for you, but if I do the same things over and over again every day, I kind of get into a rut. Has that ever happened to anybody? You know, you, you kind of just get into a rut and you're going through the motions. So I like to change up the framework. And so this is the framework that, that I gave the church this year. It's just three things. Number one, observation. What do I see? Psalm 119 and verse 18, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So five things to look for. Look for things that are emphasized, the stated purpose of a passage. Look for things that are repeated. Repetition reinforces things. Any school teachers here? Repetition reinforces things. Look for things that are related. Movement from general to specific questions and answers in the text. Cause and effect. Look for things that are alike and unlike, similes, metaphors, irony, use of the words but and yet. Uh, That word, I tell our church, if you see that word but in Scripture, it's like a revolving door. If what happens before that word is good, then what happens after that word is usually bad. If what happens before is bad, then what happens after is usually good. Uh, In the book of Isaiah, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your sins and iniquities have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Uh Uh-oh. Everything was good. Before that word, everything after that word is terrible. I need to get back on the other side of the equation, right? So, uh, look for things that are true to life. Second is interpretation. So, the first part of this framework, observation. Second part of this framework, interpretation. What does it mean? Psalm 119.34, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. So five keys to interpretation. Number one, content. 
who, what, where, when, and why. Number two, context, what comes before and after. Comparison, number three, compare Scripture with Scripture. How many know Scripture interprets Scripture? Commentaries don't interpret Scripture. Popular preachers don't interpret Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. Culture. Culture shines a light on the text. Now, when I say that, not my culture, the culture in which the Scripture was written. It wasn't written in our mindset today. It was written in an Eastern mindset. And then consultation, number five, from other biblical resources. And then the final step is application. How does it work? Psalm 119.34, yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Four steps of application. Know. Know the text and know yourself. Be honest with yourself. Right? Number two, relate. Relate our experiences to the Word. Number three, meditate. Develop a habit of meditation. You're not quite getting this scripture. Put it in the marinator. Put it in the meditator. Start meditating on it. When you get up in the morning, meditate on it. When you lay your head down at night, meditate on it. When you're going about your business throughout the day, meditate on that scripture. And then number four, practice. The ultimate goal of Bible study is to practice truth. Quickly, nine questions to ask. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? Is there an error to mark? Is there a challenge to face? The ultimate goal of Bible study is to practice truth, to make application in my own life. So, just a couple of things to remember before we dig into Philemon. Number one, choose a time, a place, and a plan to study the Scripture. Can I suggest... That sitting down in front of the television, the first night of the World Series, baseball World Series, who's playing? The Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers. Can I suggest sitting down in front of the television while the ball game's on is not the time to open up your scripture and start studying. Right? So choose a time, a place, and a plan to study the Bible. If you're fresh in the morning, make that your time. Don't give God your leftovers. If you barely can string a thought together at the end of the night, that's not the time to study the Scripture. <coughs> Number two, understand the context. That means you've got to read before and after. Number three, read slowly and ask questions. And then number four, pray for God to speak to you and apply what he shows you. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to read through this book of Philemon. And I'm going to outline the book for you. 
And this is just how I would outline the book. If you read different commentaries about this book, um, you'll, you'll see there may be different. Uh, one person will outline it one way. Another person will outline it another way. There's no right or wrong way. So the first three verses are the introduction. Philemon only has one chapter. Again, the first three verses are the introduction. Now, before I go any further, I've got to give you just a quick word on genre. The genre of this book is it's an epistle or it's a letter. Other genres are narrative, let's say. If you're reading in the book of Genesis chapter number 39, that's a story. It's a narrative that's being told. Um, And it's important to figure out what genre of scripture uh, you are reading. Some uh, genres are poetry or apocalyptic in nature. Um, So you've got to understand. Now, most of the Bible, probably around uh, 60 to 75 percent of the scripture is written in narrative form. It's telling a story. It's God's story to us. So first three verses are the introduction. Verses four through seven are a a little bit of a deeper greeting. And as we're going to see in a little bit, Paul is kind of buttering up Philemon a little bit. Verses 8 through 20 are the main body of the letter and Paul's request to Philemon. And then verses 21 to 25 are the final greetings and conclusion. So verse number 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy our brother, unto Philemon. Now Philemon, his, his name means affectionate one, loving one. So Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. So first of all, anybody notice anything about that verse? In, in Paul's typical greetings, how he normally starts all of his books, starting from Romans uh, through, uh, if you think Paul wrote Hebrews, some people hold that he wrote Hebrews. Uh, some people believe he did not write Hebrews. Anything jump out at you right away? No, no right or wrong answer. Yes. There you go. She's so smart, isn't she? I gave her the answer beforehand. I, I told her if nobody is asked, you know, if nobody's responding, this is what I want you to say. No, I didn't really. So it's interesting If you look at Romans chapter 1, verse number 1, how does Paul introduce himself? Apostle, he may say, I'm a servant and an apostle, but he gets apostle in there. Some 1 Corinthians, apostle, 2 Corinthians 1, 1, apostle, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, apostle. Don't forget everybody, I'm an apostle. So Paul, a prisoner 
of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apaphia and Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So apparently Philemon was a pastor of a church located in his home, and that was very typical in that day. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible statement that is. That's not just a throwaway statement. The, the, the writer Paul here is pointing out the deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's saying grace to you and peace. And where does that grace and peace come from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are not two different people. That, that word in the Greek, A-N-D, uh, ke or kai, it, whatever pronunciation method you use, can be translated and in English. It can also be translated even. So this could be uh, from God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Either way, it says the same exact thing. It's demonstrating both the deity He's God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, humanity. It's just demonstrating beautifully the oneness of the Godhead. I thank God, verse 4, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love. And faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. That the communication of thy faith or how you share your faith. The communication of your faith. How you share it with other people may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. In Christ Jesus. In other words, the, the, the good stuff is not just you, but you find it when you get in Christ Jesus. And, and see, look here how much Paul is, is buttering up Philemon. He's, he's laying it on thick here. For, verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now, that word bowels is used three different times in, in the text here. Uh, splagnon is the Greek word. And it could mean your insides. But most times when you see that word in Scripture, it's referring to one's heart or one's affections or strong feelings that, that they have toward one another. Uh, so that's one example of an old English word that was used years ago. That's not, we don't really walk around uh, talking about how we feel in our bowels today, right? That's a little bit weird. So when you're 
sharing that verse with someone, you, you may say, you know, this just means your heart or your strong feelings towards an individual. So I've received and the saints in the church have received great joy and encouragement because of your kindness, Philemon. That's what Paul is telling Philemon. Verse number 8, it says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. He, he's, he's saying, I, I could just command you to do what's right. That's what he's saying here. I could just tell you because I'm the apostle, but I presented myself as the prisoner. I didn't talk anything about my apostleship. So I presented myself as a prisoner, and I I want you just to do what's right on your own. So verse 9, verse 80 says, I could just command you to do what's right. Verse 9, yet for love's sake, I rather Beseech thee. I'd rather just ask you to do what's right. Being such and one as Paul the aged, you know how old people, they just kind of say whatever they want to say? Ain't nothing you can do about it. Right? You get to a certain age and you just say what you want to say, do what you want to do pretty much. And he's saying, Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. How many know what the word Onesimus or what the name Onesimus means? Anyone? The name Onesimus means useful. Keep that in mind as we go on. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Whom I have begotten in my bonds. While I've been a prisoner here in Rome, I was able to share the gospel with Onesimus, and he became a Christian while I was in prison here. Verse number 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. This to me is the key verse of the whole book which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have, and and we'll come back to that verse in a minute, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart towards you. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. I wanted to keep him here with me, but I sent him back to you. But without thy mind, verse 14, would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. I wanted to keep him, but I didn't want to do that without first talking to you about it. I didn't want you to do it because you had to do it. I want you to do it because you wanted to do it. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. 
not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. And hear this. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say. Now, here, Paul just gives a little dig here. Paul said, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. You, know, you owe me your very life, but if you make me, I'll repay this debt. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. And then uh, this is the ending. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But with all, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, if I was reading through this chapter, I wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten all the way through the chapter number one. I'd have had to stop and dig in and do some research and do some study. Um, and, and there's just different things. Did anything jump out at you while we're reading through this? Did anything grab your attention? So who, who wrote this letter? Let's get the context. Who wrote this letter? Paul wrote the letter. And, and again, did you notice Paul doesn't identify himself as he does in almost all of his other letters? He's not Paul the apostle, but he's Paul the prisoner of Christ. He's not pulling rank here in this letter. But he is appealing to Philemon on the basis of, of friendship. To whom was this letter written? Philemon, right. What what is the purpose for which this letter is written? So Philemon was written by Paul from a Roman prison to a, a very wealthy man named Philemon who led a church in his home. It was written about Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave that had stolen from Philemon and took off with those possessions he had stolen. And while he was in Rome, he comes in contact with Paul in prison. He uh, shares the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus gives his life to the Lord Jesus and is converted. 
And so Paul's purpose was to encourage Philemon to forgive Onesimus and accept him as a brother in the Lord. Now, you have to understand, in the context of that day, Philemon could have put Onesimus to death. Okay? So this is a big thing he's asking Philemon to do. Now, as we're reading this passage slowly, we should be asking ourselves some things. First of all, what does this say about God? He sure did forgive us of a bunch of stuff, didn't he? We deserved death, didn't we? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Maybe as you're reading this, it causes you to remember where God found you. Maybe it causes you to be thankful. Oh, God, I'm so thankful you didn't leave me where you found me, but you picked me up out of that pit of sin. Praise God. So is there... As you're reading, is there some speck in mine own eye? Remember the speck and the log? I'm real good. I mean, I can see the, the log in Brother White's eye all the way from here. Can't you see it? Everybody turn around and look at Brother White. Look at that log that's coming out of his eye. It, it's humongous. It, it comes so far but I can't acknowledge the speck that's in my own eye. So as you're reading, don't read the scripture to figure out what your brother's problem is. Oh, my brother over here, he really needs to hear this. He really this. Oh, he really needs to hear. I hope he paid attention as I was reading. No, figure out, God, what are you trying to say to me? Where's the speck in my eye that you want me to take care of? Now, let's go a little deeper, and and I promise I'll wrap this up quickly here. Let's go a little deeper in verse number 11. This this verse is is kind of a play on the meaning of the name Onesimus. Remember what I told you Onesimus meant? His name means useful, right? And so verse 11 says, which in time past. The, The Greek word there is pote. And it means formerly. In, in time past, formerly Onesimus was unprofitable. He wasn't living up to his name. Can you think of a time in your life when you weren't living up to your name? Pote, formerly, in time past, was to the unprofitable, but... Now, the Greek words there are denune. Denune means but now. You're profitable to thee and to me. And so what I'm wanting to tell you is you can't have the denune without the pote. You can't have the but now without the formerly. You can't have the present without your past. And we all have a past, don't we? 
You know, we think we've been walking for the Lord for a little while now, and I cleaned up nice, and I look pretty good, and sometimes we forget that we had a past, and we look at people that come into the sanctuary, and we judge them harshly for things that we see in their life, but we forget that I had a pote before. I had a formerly before God found me. And such were some of you, but ye've been washed, but ye've been sanctified, but ye've been justified. Thank you, Lord. You didn't used to be profitable, but since the Lord Jesus got a hold of your life, you're profitable for the Lord. So find your place in the church and begin to serve in the church. Formerly, pote, you were sick, but now you've been healed. Formerly, you were addicted, but now you're sober and clean. Formerly, you were depressed and anxious, but now you've been given peace that passes understanding. Formerly, your marriage was hanging on by a thread, but now God's touched your family, touched your marriage, and it's better than ever. Formerly you were lost, but now you've been found. Formerly you were in a pit of sin, but now you've been pulled up out of that pit of sin. And he set your feet upon a rock and established your goings and put a new song in your mouth. (coughs) When will God rewrite your story? When you get into his word. And begin to study his word. And begin to apply the things he's wanting you to apply from your life. Notice in verses 18 and, and, and 19. If he's wronged you. If he, if he owes you anything. Put it on my account. Paul said I've written it with my own hand. I'll repay it. Paul said, I'll, I'll repay. Isn't, isn't, isn't that such a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you and I on Calvary? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Praise God. In this book, there are three main characters. Which one do you relate to the most? Paul is one character. He's taking a risk on someone. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He doesn't know what the end of the story is going to be. He just knows God told me to take a risk on this guy. God told me to extend mercy. He was pote, formerly unuseful. But denune, now he's useful in the kingdom. So maybe you're a Paul. And so when you read this book, you read through the lens or through the eyes of Paul. Who can I take a risk on? Who can I help? Who, who can I help get to where they need to be with the Lord? And then there's Onesimus, the one who needs forgiveness. The outcome of his life is in someone else's hands. He's dependent on someone else to forgive him. Maybe you're an Onesimus today. Maybe you need somebody to forgive you. 
Maybe you need somebody to take a chance on you. Somebody to stand up and say, yeah, brother, I'll walk with you down to the altar. I'll, I'll go with you down to the altar. I'll pray with you. We'll do the work that needs to be done and we'll find a place in the Lord Jesus. Or maybe you're Philemon who's being called on to forgive. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. And so you read, when you read this book, you read it through the lens of, I need to forgive that brother or sister. How you read this little book is dependent on which character you are. And I would suggest that each of us has found our place in all three in the past. Now, one, one last little nugget and then we'll, we'll be done. Fast forward to the time when Ignatius, how many has ever heard of Ignatius before, one of the apostolic fathers? He was the bishop of Antioch. Um, Ignatius was a famous martyr, and he was most likely discipled by the apostle John. The apostle John was his teacher. Before he was killed, Ignatius wrote a letter to Ephesus. And in this letter, he brags about this church of Ephesus. He brags about their bishop. He calls him a man of inexpressible love. He said, blessed be God who granted unto you such an excellent bishop. What was the bishop's name? Onesimus. The one who was unuseful at one time. But his name means useful. He found that place. Uh, uh, He was not useful in the beginning of his life. But when someone shared the gospel message with him, he became useful. That warms my heart, Pastor Wyatt, Pastor White, that people that are sitting in this congregation, I hope they supersede me someday. I hope they supersede you someday. I hope there's a ministry that goes beyond where you're able to reach right now because of the influence that you gave to someone else who was in the congregation. I hope someday somebody can look back and say, remember when so-and-so wasn't useful, but, but somebody showed him a little love. Somebody demonstrated the book of Philemon to them and, and put them on the right path. And look what the Lord has done now. Praise God. Praise God. Stand with me. I'm sorry we didn't get to any further than that. Uh, We just dug in a little bit there. I was planning to share with you some things in my Bible reading that the Lord has has showed to me this year. And but I'm encouraged that I've given you some tools. And I'll, I'll, those frameworks that we went through kind of quickly, I'll copy and paste that into an email and send that to your pastor and you can get that. If it's a help to you, he might look at it and say, this is nonsense. I'm not passing this on to anyone. Um, 
But if it's useful to you, you can certainly apply it to your own Bible reading. Can I just tell you, God wants to speak to you every day. And that's, it doesn't have to be a spooky thing like when a preacher gets up behind the pulpit and he gets his preacher voice and he says, God spoke to me and he told me to tell you. I love it when God spoke to me and he told me to tell you, you need to straighten up. He probably was just speaking to me. Can I just tell you, God wants to speak to you every day. Fresh bread every day, hot out of the oven every day for you. Praise God. Jesus, I pray that you would cement this word into our hearts today. I pray we've benefited from being in the house of the Lord today. I pray we've gained something from your word today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple of things before we uh, get out of here. And on one hand, you kind of see why folks don't want to read their Bible. It's work. And I, I thought about, I said, um, you know, Brother Dibble, Brother White, and some of us, we, Sister Dibble, Sister White, we've got a few people that we're connected in a certain way how we treat the scriptures. And so when you hear from us, it may, we put a lot of work in. I wish, Brother Dibble, I, wish, I don't know, you might have it, but I don't have it. I wish I had the gift where I just can get a word and I can go all over the place with it preaching. But they say, preach down the house? That's not me. I got to pray. I got to study. I got to keep going back. I got to check, check the context before and after, and I'm going back and forth. The other day I texted him. I'm in Revelation. The day when I preach from Revelation, I'm in Revelation. I said, I got to know this for sure. And I said, what's your thought about this? Because I just care so much about the word and staying in context. There's a lot of effort that go into preparing the word to bring to you. It's not just we just get a word and here we come. Don't work that way. And we're studying that, con- that text probably a whole week, sometimes a whole two weeks. And we're constantly in it. It's not easy when you're just a normal person trying to do God's work. You have to rely on the Lord, and you have to dig into that scripture and pray about it and dig into it and read it over and over. And so I just thank uh, Brother Dibble for coming tonight and sharing that with us. Um, I don't want you to um, get so nervous about that. We're going to do that in 2024. We're going to keep our bread Bible which we normally do each year. We're going to always hand out the scriptures for you to follow through. But we're going to follow that format. We'll talk more about it where we follow that five-day process of not reading just to check it, say we read, but taking our time to read and to do observation and to, you know, meditate and do all the things that's necessary until we get what we need to get out of the scripture. Brother Dibble didn't give you that other part, but also 
what he started doing when he started doing that was they started to share with each other what they got out of it after they did all the reading and the prayer and the meditating and the observation of it. They started sharing. And it really does impact all of us. You know, sometimes, and I try to do this with this church, I don't want us to, you know, yes, God called us to pastor the church. But I still want us to have the relationship where we can sit together and know that another thing I picked up was I love it how Paul can get to the level of we're brothers. And remember, I've said, and if you haven't heard me say this, this is important. The greatest title in the Bible is brother. We can have bishop all we want, apostle all we want. But when we are brothers and sisters, it means we have the same father. And that puts us in a good place. Because we can be bishop and not be a good brother. We can be apostle and not be a good brother. So I love it when the apostle says, a servant. Brother. And so as much as we are the pastors, we're still brothers and sisters. And it's good for us to read and share with one another. I certainly can learn from you. I don't think it's one way where you only learn from me. I can learn from you. And so we need to establish that kind of uh, pattern and study habits in Scripture. So we'll get into that for 2024. Maybe our morning calls will be something different each day because we get into the Word of God a whole lot deeper. But um, as soon as Brother Dibble give it, put him on the spot now, as soon as he sent me over what he puts together, I'll send it to you so you have what you need uh, to study the Word of God much thoroughly. And it will certainly be a blessing to all of us. Weren't you blessed from being here tonight? Did you learn anything? I certainly learned a lot tonight. As, I, as I've said, we're trying to get a culture going in this area. Many of us have no clue what Bible school is. It never crossed our minds. And so when I get people like Brother Dibble to come in, he's bringing a whole lot of experience. Growing up in church, going to Bible college, um, you know, continuing his education biblically. We're bringing in stuff that we, it hasn't been customary in this area. But guess what? We can change it. And I pray to God that if the Lord tarries, as he said tonight, I can be old enough to sit on one of these chairs, cross my legs, and see somebody going on to be apostle this and bishop this and whatever it is, and you're really doing something great for the Lord. That's what we want. And, and I, I pray to God that we will live to see that because it would mean there's a shift in our culture where we have done the work of the Lord and that we can see younger ones. There were even people that was our age, but they came in later than us, that they got a hold of this thing and they started growing and they started doing great things for the Lord, having church in their house. Come on. Brother Dibble, that was good. I don't know, maybe I'm just a little crazy because I love the Word so much that just little things in the Word gets me excited. This dude was having church in his house. 
just having the word of God being preached and taught in his house. And he had a little bit of money. He didn't, he didn't buy no big building. He was held on to that money at church in the house. It's a lot there to go into that text and just start to mess with and look at. And we'll grow from it. Well, don't forget, 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, Sister Dibble will minister to us. She is the star of the show. Uh, this go-around um, um, weekend with the Dibbles, she will be the star of the show, I promise you. Um, come in. You don't even, remember I told you, even if your kids are grown, come. Even if your grandmom, grandfather, great-grandmother, come. It's good to be equipped so you can help others. And if you are in it right now where you're raising children, then that's a no-brainer. You need to be here. And as I said, bring the children. We have um, an outing tomorrow at 1230 at the farm. I think we all need to get here early and enjoy the Word of God. Then y'all can get your Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts afterwards and go to the farm at 1230. Hallelujah. I love you. Thank you for being here tonight. Have a great rest of your night.